Welcome to Write Stuff Radio, where we showcase Christian authors worldwide. Each week, join me for a new author and a great new book to add to your library. Welcome to The Right Stuff. I'm the Queen Parker J. Thank you so much for joining me for this edition. Today, we're going to be talking to my guest co-host and contributor today, C.W. Breyer. He is the author of the hot, fresh off the press anthology called Sticks and Stones, Tales of Childhood Horror. It's available from Cemetery Gates Media, and we want to thank them for their connection. I have often spoke about my love of horror, which is given to me by my grandmother, and it's so cool to meet other people who have the same appreciation for dark fiction, particularly when they are able to combine dark fiction with faith. And we have a lovely four by Kevin Lucia, who is also a dark fiction horror writer, and so I can't wait to talk all about this in our show today. Before I do that, we have been showcasing Christian authors worldwide for the past nine years, And as God gives us grace, we'll continue to do so. If you want to find out how you can help with our ministry, simply go to patreon.com slash write stuff and see how you can help out. And as always, we covet your prayers. And so without further ado, I'm going to introduce my guest co-host and contributor today, C.W. Breyer. Chuck, how are you doing today? I'm excited to be here. This is great. I finally get a chance to uh, chat at length. I know, right? The last time you were on our show, we were talking to... Travis Perry, and we were talking about the anthology that you came up with about Beatitudes and Woes. And I remember when that happened, everyone was like, why hadn't we thought about that before? Why did it suddenly happen now? But we got that project off to a great start. It got it published because Travis knows how to herd a bunch of authors. And so we got that together. And now we're talking about your anthology. We're talking about Sticks and Stones. And what I like about this is that it's about childhood horror. Now, I got to ask you, you know, I know you like childhood horror and I know you like horror in general, but what is it about this particular anthology that really drew you to the topic? Well, I uh, just finished up working on a manuscript for a longer piece, a novel. Uh, I'm still working on getting that out in publication. Uh, And I'm looking ahead to some other novels. And I realized I need to get something out, you know, quicker to, to the reader, something sooner. And I had recently had a couple of short stories published, and, I, and they all had childhood at their core. They were all featuring uh, childhood characters or children. And, uh, and it just kind of clicked. I could you know, incorporate those, bring them together into a collection, uh, and work on some other stories that I had brewing and coming together. And it, it just kind of spiraled from there. I think about half the stories I already either had written or was planning to write, and uh, with a, just a little bit of thought, came up with some additional stories to add to the collection. And it came together pretty easily as far as story collections are. What's really interesting, too, is that you use the time in a person's life that is often filled with imagination, which is during our childhood. It's the part of our being where 
we can have the greatest fantasies or the most frightening nightmares. There are things that still linger from childhood that carry on to adulthood that actually form us into the people that we are. So I really like the unique take on this anthology because you're using scary things that children deal with or scary situations and you're turning it into an anthology. But it's not just an anthology just to entertain, it's also to send out a message. And what that message is, is really determined by how the reader is viewing the message. I'm really excited to talk to you about this book, so I can't wait to dig more into it. But for those who don't know who you are, go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself. So yeah, my author name is C.W. Breyer. Uh, first name is Chuck. It is a pen name. Uh, the W is a long Polish name that no one can spell or pronounce, uh, hence the pen name. And then that actually gets back into, I would say, my childhood and in, in where I came from. I grew up in the just a feral child in the wilderness out in the, in the middle of the sticks. Uh, and Briar, for me, relates back to you know, growing up, going out berry picking and stuff like that, avoiding the, the briars and the, and the thorns. So that just that's where it came from. Uh, that's just part of how I grew up in my childhood. And I've been pursuing darker, scarier fiction for a while now. Interest in dark fantasy and horror. It's stuff that has always drawn my attention uh, in movies and in books. Uh, I, I think kind of my awakening was Jurassic Park with Michael Crichton. I read that in middle school, and I realized what I really love in fiction is suspense uh, and, and bringing in some of those speculative elements, those, you know, in this case, dinosaurs, but it could be, you know, ghosts or dinosaurs or aliens, just something fun, something, you know, interesting. And then as I started to write, it was, you know, the same thing. I was drawn to suspense. It just kind of comes naturally to me. It's fun. It's for me. I think it also gets my mind rolling. It gets my emotions going. It's more interesting to me than a lot of other genres. They're all fine, but uh, it's just what I'm drawn to. And you can't help but be drawn to what you are drawn to when it comes to creativity. I know for myself, I am naturally drawn to horror. And I was introduced to romance when I was older, around 14 years old, when I found my first Holocron book under my cousin's bed. <laughs> but I was drawn to horror because my grandmother used to watch it all the time. And that's how we connected. So we can always discuss the ethics of having a five-year-old watching the thing and seeing the dog being ripped apart into an alien. <laughs> that maybe they probably shouldn't see anything like that. But now, growing up, that's grandmother's milk to me. You know, I love watching that movie and I feel very cozy when I do. And so I understand what you mean about being naturally drawn to things that just simply interest you. What's really unique is that as Christians, we are often called to be different. And so there are people who are really against Christians who are into dark fiction. But I would hesitate to say there's nothing wrong with dark fiction because we're surrounded by darkness all the time. What are some of your thoughts about that? Yeah, I, I definitely heard a lot of it, you know, growing up. Uh, I can remember when I was a, a child, I discovered the Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark series, which has those haunting images on the cover and throughout. That was one of the few times I actually hid something from my parents. <laughs> my, I, I realized if my mother found the book, she would not be happy. But I, I love the book, and I read them on the bus, and then I got home, put in my backpack. But uh, I will say, I was pretty good kid. That's about as far, as far as I go in terms of being a bad kid, uh, reading scary stories. I have to interrupt you because I read that when I was a kid. And when you think about it, you're like, oh my gosh, those things terrified you. It wasn't even the story as much as the images in that collection. 
I must have been in sixth grade, I think, when we found the book. And the one image that freaked me out the most was the story about the girl with the spider bite mm-hmm. and all the spiders crawled on her face. That <laughs> one, and then, of course, the story of Harold. Did you by any chance see the movie they adapted from the book? I did. I did. It was it was interesting. It was it was kind of fun seeing these little pictures from my childhood coming back into a movie. It was it was fun, I would say. And they did a good job in keeping the stories rocking, if you will, and keeping that suspense there. But it was literally if you have a child that's in a horror, it's enough for them to get scared but not terrify them and scar them for life. It's just enough. Like, I actually like the adaptation of the Herald story because in the story, in the books, he was skinned alive. They took his skin and hung it on the line. But in the movie, they actually made it creepier because he turned into a scarecrow. And when that happened, you're like, that's actually quite creepy. And the way they depicted it with the straw coming out of his mouth and gutting out of the scar in his body, I was like, wow, that is really interesting. That really, like... Give me a nice little creep factor, and I'm an adult, so I'm not as frightened as I used to be, you know. So it's like, wow, I really like how they did that. But they also show the overarching theme because, like in your stories, at the heart of the horror story is a broken soul. And I think in your stories, you show that in very different aspects. And that's one part of horror that a lot of people don't think about. Or they think about the scary part, they forget the source of the scary part. Why would someone feel this way? Because they're broken inside. And that leads me to the first story I want to talk about in your anthology, which is called Sticks and Stones, Tales of Childhood Horror, available from Cemetery Gates Media. You can find it on Amazon or wherever books are sold. And the story is actually the first one called Home. And it starts off the young girl creaking through the woods. And anyone who is a horror fiction, horror story officiato knows you don't go to the woods. Yep. <laughs> Stay away from the woods at all possible. So let's talk about what's going on in home. Yeah, and it's uh, one of the shorter stories, but I, and I think it's a good introduction to the collection in general. Uh, in some regards, I would say it's also one of the darkest stories that's there. And, and I think this is actually a really good example of why I would say horror does fit well with you know, Christian readers. You mentioned earlier uh, about, you know, children being exposed to stuff. I, I'm also a big advocate for, let you know, wait till kids are ready. The Thing is a, is a wonderful movie, and I have shown it to my oldest, but he's now in high school. And it's just a matter of waiting for the right time. We we started with some lighter horror, and yeah, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark is a good starting place. And, and work your way up. And uh, so I, I made sure we watched it when he was, you know, able to handle it. And we, re- we recently watched The Ring, because I knew that'd be more psychological and he goes, yeah, that that one got me. I'm I'm gonna stay up a little bit before, bit before going to bed, but he's he's doing a okay, and uh, but he did enjoy it. And home kind of gets into a lot of those, I guess those those feelings we have as kids. There's a there's a special connection with childhood and the teenage years with horror. It's very formative, I guess we'll say in terms of the genre taste and, and what sticks with us. It's you can usually tell how old a person is based on their favorite horror movies. I, I rate Jurassic Park right up there, and actually it's a movie that lots of people who are not horror fans will still watch, but it does have all the, the components of a horror movie. It's a survival horror movie, and it stuck with me, but I was the perfect age for it to stick with me. Uh, you will typically see people remembering the movies they saw in their teenage years because they're very formative, and as you get to be an adult, you get you know a little bit more accustomed to what you're reading and seeing in the movies. 
And so it doesn't shake you the same way and stick to your mind the same way. Now, people who are Christians and, and opposed to horror, and I, I, I kind of a lot of people in that crowd, I, I've run into those conversations. Uh, a lot of people I've talked to over the years who are writers of other genres have kind of come to be like, oh, okay, I, I understand horror now. I just, I didn't get it. It still may not be their genre they like, but at least they understand what's going on. And yeah, it sticks with you and they, people hear that and they think that that's necessarily, you know, that's by default damaging to the brain that you're, it's sticking with you because it's doing harm. Uh, in reality, it's, it's preparatory. Uh, there's a reason that horror tends to be more popular with younger readers because they're dealing with things that are more conceptual at that point. The statistics show as, as the audience gets older, it's not everybody, but they tend to enjoy, you know, go to horror less often. They tend to go to some other genres like mystery as they get older. Uh, I think because death becomes part of life versus being something conceptual. So I, I think horror is a chance for young readers to dip their toes in the water of something that we, we all confront. I mean, death is part of life. And, and not just death, but other difficult situations, it's something we have to come to confront. And it, you know, it's why the teenage years are big for that, because you're just starting to think about those pictures. I, I think also it's, it's preparatory for the mind. Uh, there's been some studies. I, I don't want to say they're official and that it's, it's been proven yet, but there's been some introductory studies that actually people who watch and read a lot of horror tend to do better in high stress situations because they've kind of prepped their brains to handle it. It's similar to the, you know, the serial killer stories tend to be quite popular. And the going theory about why that is, is because the, the audience feels more prepared to deal with something like that in life. And so it's, it's something that gets you trained and gets you ready for difficult situations in life. Then coming from the Christian side of things, it's a chance to confront some of the darker aspects of life and face them head on. Yeah. Horror is not for everybody. It's not a genre that everyone will enjoy. It's one that I would not push onto people. You know, don't go running into extreme horror when you're five years old. It will probably mess you up and have an effect, but it's something that in the right time can be a bit medicating for, for life and help you to be prepared. And we'll take home as an example. Home is about a girl wandering out in the woods, and, and I don't want to give away spoilers, but you start to see what's motivating her decision to go out there. And there's a, a bit of an allegory that's going on with the creatures that are out there. I, I tend to include a lot of allegory. It's, the story should stand on its own. It's not just allegory, but there will be some thematic elements to the story. And a lot of the questions about the girl's choices and how the story plays out center around the monster. Usually the monster does kind of stand in as the question we're left with as a reader. And, and that's a good example there. There's, there's other things going on than just a, a, a trip out into the woods. And hard to say what it is without giving spoilers, but it's the kind of story where you're left uncomfortable. And that's the point. It, it gets, it's similar to in scripture when they give a lot of the prophecies that are very horrific, you know, things like mothers are, will have to eat their own children. It's, it's meant to shake you. It's supposed to wake you up to the reality, some darker aspects of reality that you can't always turn your eyes from. At some point, they, you'll, be face, you'll be forced to confront them. If not you, then maybe your neighbor or maybe your friend. And so, yes, it's, it's an uncomfortable story, but it's one that's supposed to be a wake-up call. One thing, too, without giving too much away, often the monsters in our lives are stand-ins for things that we are going through. I know for myself, growing up, I used to have lots of weird dreams. And when I had dreams about monsters, I was actually quite stressed. 
and sometimes the monsters overwhelmed me. But I always woke up at the, before the monster actually did, giving me a chance to go, okay, I'm dreaming about monsters. I'm stressed out about something in my life. So there is something that's going on with that as well. So I'm really glad that you chose to use home as the starting point for our anthology. And throughout the anthology, there's all sorts of imagery that's going on. And what I like about home is this is creeping dread that happens and you're listening to Lauren, who's the protagonist of the story, and she only understands things from her mindset. And one thing you really tapped into with this anthology is making sure that even though there's lyrical prose in the story, the understanding of the protagonist comes from child's understanding. Children do not always grasp the situations going on around them. And that was something that I thought you did extremely well. It reminded me of that movie Freaks. I don't know if you saw that movie. It was on Netflix a couple of years ago where you're following the little girl and everything is through the little girl's eyes. And then the story gets bigger and bigger and bigger as it plays along. But as a child, they don't quite understand what's going on. And that really happens in the other story of this anthology. And it's a story basically about Henry and Joe. And it's about a sloppy Joe sandwich. So let's talk about that for a minute. Go ahead and give us a title of that one. So yeah, the story is called You Are What You Eat. And as you can guess by the name, there's a bit of play there with the sloppy Joe and, and Joe the character. It's one where, again, you have a, a young child as the, the main protagonist, um, their point of view, and that's Henry. And he goes with his family to a diner uh, after they go car shopping and they end up ordering a sloppy Joe sandwich. What was interesting for me is I've been recently car shopping in one place we went to test drive. There was this little silver diner across the road. I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> um, and it's not much of a spoiler because this is early in the story, but he eats the sandwich. And this is based on, thankfully, no personal experience, but things that have happened. And he finds a finger in the, the Sloppy Joe sandwich. That's the start of the story. And then, yes, it's, it's gross, but a little bit of body horror. And it's something that you know comes up, but that's not the heart of the story. What starts to develop is as Henry grows older, what's the psychological, the emotional, maybe spiritual impact of this? How much of it is, it is an impact from that incident and how much of it is just him aging? I mean, it does go to him reaching puberty and puberty is one of the themes there of how we change. And so it, it's, it's layered, I guess we'll say, uh, you know, and I, it's intentionally left where the developments that go on, how much of it, again, is, is psychological, how much, is, how much is real? how much of it is more spiritual and those questions are out there and it's intentionally done with their point of view. The language changes. I, I, I the vocabulary of my characters grows as they're older. So if you read a story like home, for example, the, the language tends to be much more pared down compared to ones with teenage characters or again, going back to, ho to home, I remember a couple of times I used some larger words that don't fit her. And that's at a moment where it's supposed to feel off and that's intentional and so you do the same thing with with henry his his kind of point of view progresses as he ages and that's important for getting that child childlike feeling you want that to come through because with that comes the vulnerability with that comes the retrospective as as older readers looking back to our childhood that language is a very big deal for bringing out that childhood point of view and also limiting what they would think about Kids don't think of the same thing as other as other characters do, and and in both home and you are what you eat, you have questions about a distant parent. 
that's a recurring theme in the collection and you see throughout it that it's not it's not always the focus of the story it's just something that kind of muddies the waters and, then, and that's oftentimes the experience of children they don't have any control over it it's with a with an absent parent it changes how they go through life but they're dealing with day-to-day things it's just something that's a factor that's in there another thing that i liked was your hint about grindle and the name of the diner in the story is called Grindel's Diner. And I was like, well, that's quite clever. <laughs> that's quite <laughs> clever. I said, I wonder if that was something you deliberately threw in there or not. But you don't have to go into that. I, well, I, I will say this. I mean, before this book came out, the last publication I had was um, Whispers from the Depths, which is a dark fantasy novel. And I, I tell people, I'd like to say that it's, it is Beowulf is told by Michael Crichton. But the problem is Michael Crichton already wrote Beowulf is told by Michael Crichton. Uh, it's got a that one was written with a kind of a, a Michael Crichton esque vibe to it, uh, and it's a fantasy story. But yeah, I, I would say Beowulf is one of the major influences for that story. So yeah, I'm, I'm very familiar with Grendel. So what I really liked about this particular story too, Chuck, is that you wrote the story in such a way that it's multi layered. The reader, once they finish this story, they're going to be like, okay, was it this? Was it that? Did this really happen? Was this really going on? Is this really the case? And I love that aspect about this particular story. It is the fact that you are really left up to your own determination and interpretation of the events as you portray them. And this actually shows your understanding of Lovecraftian horror, which is a catchword in horror. A lot of people think Lovecraft is all about monsters, but I'm sure you would differ on that. Yes. Yeah. I mean, Lovecraftian uh, horror and its true source is, is kind of facing something bigger than yourself and not knowing how to deal with it. The the monsters that are there are often vaguely described. And in, if you read those those stories, and they're more of a the face, the mask of the bigger fear of something big and, and, and imposing and uh, not being able to handle it. And Lovecraft was very focused on, you know, the strength of the mind and, and fear for him was being in situations where you're, I guess, not smart enough to just think your way through it. You know, he was, he was an atheist, and so a lot of that comes down to humans kind of control our destiny. We can, you know, the intellects will get us through it. And so fear for him dealt with things like, you know, what if there is a God and uh, I'm not okay with that God? Or just kind of generic, you know, maybe it could be even not a, a deity, but something something big, powerful force out there in the universe that we don't understand. Uh, situations where the mind can't get us through, that our intellect can't solve our problems. So yeah, Lovecraftian in general, it's a vague term, is facing something too big and, and, and strong for you to overcome, especially something that gets into into the inside, gets into your, your mind and your heart and, and not being able to overcome that. And so you, you will see a lot of Lovecraft's fingerprint is on horror even to this day. I think his his acclaim has grown over the years. Also, the scandals with you know some of his, his views, but his, his style of writing has taken hold. He's really planted a seed that's been, you know, kind of seeded its way through the, the generations of horror writers, and that's there. So, yeah, everyone, even if you haven't read Lovecraft, if you're a horror writer today, you probably have some Lovecraftian influence in your writing. One thing, too, about Lovecraftian horror is not just about the big things. It could be something as simple as a change in worldview. Let's say you believe one thing about something, and then that change comes. That's quite terrifying. It doesn't have to be something major just something small that you had your foundation on, and then all of a sudden that foundation is ripped from you. And some of that is explored in your anthology as well through some of the other stories. The Lovecraft 
did have a major impact on the horror genre in general. I recently saw Color Out of Space with Nicolas Cage, and I actually thought it was a very good movie. I thought the guy who directed the movie did an excellent job keeping really close to the source material, updating it without destroying the core of the source of the tale and their depiction of Lovecraftian horror toward the end of the story was phenomenal, you know, and there's a lot of really interesting things in there. There were little Easter eggs in there that was quite interesting. So I really enjoyed the story. I also liked when Nicolas Cage played in Mandy and Mandy was also, I would call it somewhat Lovecraftian because as the story starts to expand a little bit more, you kind of go like, is this really happening or is he on like this massive LSD trip? <laughs> you know what I mean? Lots of, lots of really interesting stuff happened in Mandy. But yeah, so I really like that aspect of your story and you really got a grasp on it. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. The, the, the aspect of um, madness and vulnerability. And, and what's interesting with childhood horror is that the scale of vulnerability it goes goes way down. It can get a little bit more intimate and in your face with it, with a childhood because you have a lot less power to fight back. So that vulnerability is there, but also the madness. And in this case, you are what you eat. That's that's part of it. Is Henry wrestling with who he is and and questioning what's going on inside. And that that does get into the Lovecraftian vibes. Yeah. The other story that I liked in this collection was actually a very short one, and we're going to completely spoil it because it's only a paragraph. And I was wondering why you added this to the collection. And I thought, you know, I think he added this to the collection because sometimes it's just that sudden. Your life can change in just that moment. The realization of where you are can hit you, and there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. So let's go ahead and talk about that one paragraph story called Just a Pinch, I think it's called. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's one where there is a something I see online pop up every now and then. It's like two-sentence horror, and this is basically what this is. Uh, I mean, for the collection in general, one one review I saw said it, it almost feels like full anthology written by multiple authors because it's it's going in so many different genre directions and styles. That was intentional. It's it's me kind of stretching out into different genres I, that, that interest me. And this one would be a very niche, niche genre of two-sentence horror. It's meant to be a bee sting. Obviously, you can't go very far with it, uh, but horror works really well in short form. Compared to like fantasy and sci-fi, for example, you can get away with short stories way more easily. Uh, they do exist, but I, I think anthologies for horror probably, oh goodness, I don't know, maybe five times as popular or as common as like fantasy short, you know, short story collections. Horror works for a little while. Once you become familiar with what you're facing, the, the scariness starts to die down. That's why you have something like the Alien franchise. You know, the first one's terrifying and suspenseful, but you start to get the hang of how to deal with them. So then what do you do for the second one? You, you throw a lot of them at you, so there's a new challenge. But generally, fans aren't as keen on the later ones, and, and they, they want to go back to being scared, but they, they probably can't. I love the Xenomorph design. I love that creation. But once you start to grasp your enemy and deal with it, you go from being scared of it to trying to process it and handle it, which gets into horror in general. That's one of its strengths is teaching us to wrestle with difficult things and to face them head on. This is one example where, you know, you can show how it, you can be scared in an instant. All it takes is, is that this one's just a little bit of a beasting of, a, you know, a gut punch to the emotions. And it moves on. And horror can pull that off. It's, it's difficult to do that with any other genre. 
And on the flip side, it's a lot, I would say it's a much easier to write a you know, 900-page story in fantasy where you can explore a lot. It, it's hard to maintain something being scary for that long. It reminded me actually of Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, where at least in the movie, there's a scene where they're fighting the spider. And forgive me, I can't remember her name right now, but they're fighting the spider. And Samwise, you know, thank you, thank yep. you. <laughs> Samwise killed her. And mind you, that was terrifying. <laughs> you know what I mean? But after a while, you can't be scared anymore because even the Bible says we don't have a spirit of fear. I mean, we can be attacked by fear, influenced by it, but we don't have a spirit of fear. We don't live in that moment because eventually we are created to adapt. We are created to grow. We're created to process what's going on about us. Yep. That's one. Yeah, the- I think I just started, sorry to cut in, but that is definitely one of the verses that gets thrown up there a lot when, I'm, when discussing Christians writing horror and Christians watching or reading horror is we don't have a spirit of fear. I do think that's a, that's misconstrued to mean that we should never fear. But if you see, you know, and they'll point out the verses, all those verses that say, do not fear. I think that's stretching the content. Typically those conversations, you can tell it's somebody who just doesn't like the genre and then trying to build a, I guess we'll say a scriptural justification for why they don't like the genre and why others shouldn't like the genre. But in reality, fear is going to come. We're all going to run into situations I mean, cancer diagnosis, yeah, it's, it's, it's terrifying when you deal with it. And it, it's, it's a tough thing that we all go through at some point. If not us, then those around us. And then, but you can also take that punch and then grow from there. I, I've seen such courage from people that go through difficult medical diagnoses. It's fearful at first and, and it's a shame and it's something that we don't like to see. But then you see people who push through that fear to do something incredible, like Samwise fighting off Shelob. Yeah, I mean, Tolkien used aspects of, of horror. Uh, lots of writers use aspects of horror because it has a place in how we process things. It has a place in fiction and stories. In fantasy, it might just be this one encounter or this one enemy. It doesn't set the tone for the whole story, whereas horror, it, it expands to include the, the tone of the story overall. But most horror stories are still that same Samwise Gamgee fighting the spider and trying to win the day. Thank you for clarifying my thoughts. I think fear is good because it helps us to respect our boundaries. It helps us to respect and be safe. Fear would say, I'm not going to run down the street at night, so I'll make sure I get home by a decent time of hour. These are the things that help us. So fear isn't always meant to be a hindrance. It's also meant to give us boundaries. And so one of the things in the tales of childhood horror, Six and Stones, is that the children deal with their fear in different ways. Sometimes it's internalized, sometimes it's externalized. And there are so many different genres within this particular anthology that as you read it, you're going to be like, wow, it does sound like it's written by different authors. And it's not. It's written by C-Dub. And so we are getting close to the end of our discussion today, Chuck, and I really am glad that you came on board to help me talk about your book, Sticks and Stones. So I want people to find out where they can connect with you online. I guess the place I have the most fun is on Facebook, and uh, there's, there's two pages on there. There's one that's the author page that's specifically for just big announcements, or you can just look me up on Facebook under C.W. Breyer. I have a little bit more fun and, and uh, make some jokes over there. I'm also on Twitter and on Instagram, and I do have a website, cwbriar.com. You can find the links to, to my social media there or sign up for an email newsletter. I don't send out a lot of emails, it's, but I'm, you know, it would give reader a heads up to the big stuff that's coming out. And yeah, reach out. I'm, I'm very open to being contacted online. I, I, I like to chat with people as much as I can. We're, we're all busy, myself included, but uh, I do like to, to connect with people. Or if I'm out at any sort of uh, event or show throughout around the country, yeah, definitely stop by and talk to me there. 
Chuck, this show is always about encouraging authors whom God has given the gift to write, to pick up the pen and do so. And I particularly want you to speak to those authors out there who think because I like dark fiction, something's wrong with me. I'm not Christian enough. I'm not saved enough. I'm obviously letting Satan use me. I want you to speak directly to them because they need to not be bullied out of their gift of taking the dark tones of life, creating and crafting a story that can still glorify the Lord. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's something that is obviously a passion for me, uh, this idea of being able to write dark stories even as a Christian author. I will say for the readers who are listening, or the, the listeners here, I do write for the general market, so I'm not always writing squeaky clean, but I'm also not you know, trying to go with this hard R rating either. I would much rather scare you and make you uncomfortable and make you cry than make you want to vomit. That's, that's not my style. I think something that's a lot of the feedback that writers get uh, who want to write dark fiction is coming from people who just don't like the genre. And I, I think there's a, I've seen it happen. I don't know how many times. And, and I'm always, it, those are fun conversations. I'm, those are conversations I'm willing to have with people one-on-one about this idea of, you know, theologically, are we supposed to be enjoying this? For me, horror is, it's a roller coaster. It's, it's the more exciting ride at the park. Uh, when I go to an amusement park, I want to ride the roller coaster and the scariest rides you have because it's thrilling and it's fun. I don't actually want to get hurt. I want to go, you know, have the thrill of it and then go home and, and sleep soundly in bed. Horror is basically the same thing, but in literary form or story form. We want to be scared. We want to, to deal with that, but we don't actually want to be genuinely hurt. It's a safe place to deal with and confront those kinds of situations. And there's a a special place for Christian authors to speak into that because you can provide medicine and and guidance in that situation. Horror is dealing with real scenarios. Even if it's dealing with, let's say, a monster, you're still dealing with the difficult situations in life we have to face. Maybe you're not going to be facing, you know, some sort of alien from from another galaxy, but you might be facing that horrifying person in your life and you need the courage to, to do something, to step in, to get yourself out of that situation, to help someone else in that situation. There's a lot of, lot of learning to be done through horror and something that also gets missed by primarily, I would say, outsiders of the horror genre is that horror is one of the most empathetic genres that's there. Yes, there's the, the horror stories that are just meant to be gross or just meant to be scary and that's all they're, they're aiming for. There, I think there's conversation to be had about maybe some some story forms being better for Christians to explore because you have more opportunity to to say something. You know, if you're just trying to be as gross as possible, I'm not going to stand here and say without looking into a story that that's automatically wrong. But I don't know that we're necessarily saying something beneficial and something to to grow from in that kind of story. But that's a that's a side sidetrack. But there are situations that horror authors can speak into that others are not going to go into or are not going to be as overt in, in discussing. And horror authors in general give a lifeline, give a, give a way out. They, they speak about things like courage. They speak about things like having empathy for people that go through those kind of difficult situations. They are a guide, a light in the dark to say, you know, keep fighting, keep going, find your way out, deal with the situation. That is at the heart of horror in general, especially more empathetic forms of horror, which tend to be the more popular ones. I mean, Stephen King's obviously the the biggest name that's out there and everyone's familiar with his stories. There's a lot of empathy and genuine character building that that takes place there. It's it's about real people, often flawed people, dealing with difficult situations and, and fighting through it. 
not perfectly, but trying to fight through it. That, I think that's a great platform for a Christian writer to to step into and, and then to speak out to people from. And you can give, as part of your unique guidance, that light, you can also give the light of Jesus that's there, not always, you know, as a, as a come to Jesus kind of moment, but as somebody who's been kind of guided by that themselves and has been changed by that, we have a hope that others don't have. And we can put that into the stories that are there. We have as Christians, we're, we're you know, both through, through teachings, through the Holy Spirit, all that. Empathy is at the core of, of who we are as Christians, or at least it should be. And so I do think there is a platform for Christians to speak out into there, not even as, again, as necessarily direct Christian fiction. I, I, I don't know that we'll have any more Ted Deckers and Frank Peretti's. They're kind of the only two that got a pass to write Christian horror. Maybe that'll come around and there'll be more that are allowed in that genre, but they've kind of gotten a pass that others haven't gotten. But I, I still think even in the general market, even if the story isn't about Jesus per se, I think as those of us as authors who have been trained and shaped and molded by Christ, we have a way to try to bring some healing and some guidance in this life to help others through difficult situations. And I can't help but think of a better way to end our podcast today. Chuck, thank you so much for joining me for this edition of the show. And I cannot wait to have you back and have you back real soon. Thank you. This has been a blast. And we were talking today to C.W. Breyer, Chuck, and he's sharing with us his newest release, Sticks and Stones, Tales of Childhood Horror, available from Cemetery Gates Media. We want to thank them for the connection. And if you want to get your copy of Sticks and Stones, make sure you go to Amazon.com or wherever books are sold. Let me tell you, if you're looking for wonderful horror that is just thought-provoking as well as insightful and a little bit of chilling, this is the anthology for you. Make sure you go ahead and pick up your copy of Sticks and Stones, Tales of Childhood Horror by C.W. Breyer. Thank you so much for joining me for this edition of The Right Stuff. I'm the Queen, Parker J. You have a wonderful, absolutely glorious, blessed day. <laughs>